Hello, hello, ¿cómo están? And welcome to another episode of the Engine Room Podcast. And as you already probably know, La Liga Football and also Premier League Football have begun. So our more weekly podcast where we cover the biggest stories of the weekend will also be now on full throttle. And to do that, I'm not going to do it by my own. I have my great friend Pablo. Pablo, ¿cómo estás? Hello, Luis. I'm all good. Uh, really good, interesting week of, of football, I thought, you know, to, to kickstart La Liga and to kickstart the Premier League. There were some really good games. Certainly in England, it was actually really, some really exciting watches. So we should have a lot to talk about today. You listeners know what I'm going to say next. If you are listening to the podcast, you know, make sure you share it around. Make sure you follow us on Twitter as well, guys. You know, you can interact with us there. Any feedback, you know, leave it under one of our posts on Twitter. We are looking to become more active on there. So watch out on Twitter. If your podcast platforms allow you, please do rate and review the podcast. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. There should be uh, some, some good things to discuss, I think. Yeah, very excited indeed. Is there anything else that we need to mention? I think that probably we are going to be starting doing more content, like Pablo just said on Twitter. We're going to be doing a little bit of like initial match reviews on there. And also we're going to be starting to do more content on YouTube. We're planning behind the scenes, me and Pablo, how to develop that schedule so that it's easy for us. Pablo, as you already probably know, is starting university pretty soon. So we need to kind of fit that into his schedule as well. But without further ado, let's just go ahead and begin with our twisted takes, shall we? Let's go. Okay, now guys, so moving onwards to our twisted takes, you know the deal. And I want to start off with Pablo because actually before recording, Pablo was struggling to get one. <laughs> so I just want to hear what you came up with. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how well I'm going to actually explain this, but I thought, you know what, yeah, this is actually a good point to make and probably something we can get a good discussion out of. So I kind of wanted to talk about the, the Premier League. Of course, it started this weekend, but I wanted to talk about the fact that the Premier League for me is moving further away from the rest of European leagues. Maybe never in terms of quality or trophies. I think we always see, look at Villarreal, Sevilla, or whoever it is, they always seem to compete on the biggest stages, do, do the Spanish clubs and whatnot, even against the English clubs on the biggest stages. But I think the Premier League right now, in terms of players, certainly in terms of money, and probably in terms of entertainment, is really moving away from the rest of Europe. You know, maybe only PSG are competing right now, and they're just, you know, they're not a league themselves, are they? So I just felt as if it was a point worth making. I felt like England and the Premier League is really rapidly moving away. You look at, for example, clubs like even Aston Villa, you know, a mid-table Premier League club now. They have more money than Real Madrid and Barcelona. And I think that really speaks volumes of, of the way football is going right now. So I think it was an important point to make really just... I don't know. I feel like the Premier League is probably going where it wants to and it really is moving away now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have to tend to agree with that. Of course, in the terms of money, in players, certainly managers as well. I think the managers are are a strong point of the Premier League now, especially when you take into account how easy for them is to attract the biggest talents. We're talking about a club in Everton that had Ancelotti as their manager. We're talking about someone now that they replace him with Rafa Benitez. Easily good managers that could translate to go to top teams in like Serie A, like AC Milan. AC, who's, who's of a bigger profile? Rafa Benitez or Simeone? Or what's his name? Pioli? I don't know what's Pioli, his yeah. first name. Or I don't know what's his first name. Sorry, Pioli. I don't remember your first name. But it's like, of course, they have the biggest profile. And I think that I, I would tend to uh, agree with you on that one as well. Uh, but in terms of money and competitiveness, especially competitiveness, I think that always sometimes it will, you will find, like you say, those Villarreal, those Sevilla to compete. 
And it will be interesting to see how then La Liga will be able to come back, especially Spanish football with the lack of funds that Real Madrid and Barcelona acquire. I think that we're really going to be seeing the the real spectrum and the real level of these leagues whenever the next big players move. So, for instance, we have Haaland, we have Mbappe. What's going to happen with them? Are they going to be choosing Liverpool or are they still going to be choosing the prestige and history that Barcelona and Real Madrid probably still have on those youngsters? Because let's remember that the biggest golden years of Real Madrid and Barcelona were when probably this next generation of footballers are going to be coming through. They used to watch Barcelona and Real Madrid in the finals of the UCL. They used to watch them playing the best football. So I think that is going to be certainly a point to to look out for because we never really know what are they going to be trying to do. Are they going to be attracted, like you say, by the money or the tides are still going to remain uh, hitting the shore of Spanish football? Yeah, yeah. I, I just I do think it's interesting because, like, like you say, I mean, there could be some good news for Spain around the corner. It looks like Mbappe is still convinced of going to Real Madrid. I mean, let's see if PSG can convince them over the year. You wouldn't put it past them with the amount of money and how much they'll be able to just throw at Mbappe, but still, it looks like he's got his heart set on Real Madrid. Haaland, I always dream about him going to Barcelona. To me, just seems more and more, you know, less likely every day, really. Barcelona look like we're in a dreadful financial situation, which is just worrying, but I feel as if, if Haaland goes to Barca, if Mbappe goes to Real, all of a sudden, Barcelona and Real Madrid, you know, they're back in the hot seat, so I don't know. Let, let's see what happens. I, I thought it was an interesting point, point worth making. Shall we move on to your twisted take? Yeah, let's do it. So my twisted take also stays in the Premier League. And this one, I wrote it straight after the weekend of Premier League football ended. And I think that Arteta, Mikel Arteta, will become the first manager to get sacked in the Premier League or at least should be the first one to get sacked. Because I feel that right now when we take a look at Arsenal, they just... They continue right where they left off, in complete disarray and disjointed. <laughs> they really didn't progress at all. I know they got new signings, and I think they're rebuilding slowly but surely. I think the signing of Lokonga looks good. I liked him a lot. I also really liked the signing of... Uh, oh, my God. What's this guy's name? Tavares? Ben White. No, Ben, ben White. Okay. I think that Ben White makes a lot of sense, and he's kind of building back to the core of what Arsenal really was. I'm thinking that Arsenal moved away into more a European scene when in reality Arsenal for me when I grew up was all about like English, having the biggest English talents. And I think that with Saka, with Emil Smith-Rowe, Ben White, they're getting back those certain pillars. But you take a look at places in their squad, especially starting 11, like parts of, parts of their team. Like who should be next in an ideal 11 to Thomas Partey? I think that's a very big discussion. And then Right back position, you need a proper starter. You don't have anyone there. Like Bellerin, they want to sell him. They have Cedric Suarez, and then it's like, and they have Callum Chambers. But then it's like, I don't think none of them are up there to compete to at least get a, a proper consolidated, like I say, top six finish. So it's always you need to start looking for these areas, these pieces that I think are there in their squad. But then the problem is that I don't think Arteta is even the right man, the right manager to get them playing the best football possible. And we saw against Brentford how easily it was for this team that just newly promoted to dismantle them. And I think that really showed up the not only the tactical, I think, hollowness that Arteta has currently on the team, but also I would say sort of the 
lack of attitude and the lack of personality that Arsenal players are showing right now. And you have all of these still questions surrounding Aubameyang. Like I said, what's going to happen? Like starting Balogun. Uh, who was the starter? It was Enkietia. Yeah, ba- Balogun. Balogun was the starter for Arsenal against Brentford. Like, yeah, that that that, that shouldn't happen. Like, I'm sorry, but for a club like Arsenal, you cannot be playing with that guy up, up top. Like, I think he, he may be a good talent, but overall, like, you, you need to respect yourself a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing about Arteta is, uh, I just, I just don't see where it's going for him in Arsenal. All I hear is that this is like a bright manager who should be given time, and we've heard that for a lot now. But I think you're right about the fact that Arsenal come back and they, they just look like they're stagnating right now. You know, it's just like I don't know what's going on. They claim that he's trying to do all these like tactics and implement new things into the squad, but I, j- I just don't see anything really right now. They have little glimpses here and there. Sometimes I praise Arteta for how good his sides can be defensively. I see sometimes. Uh, in FA Cup games, for example, they really get behind the ball well. They're very hard to break down against good opposition. They've got some good results in the past. Certainly, you look at when Arteta came in and won the FA Cup with Arsenal, for example. They were very hard to beat then. They had some good patterns of play and attack. But I feel as if overall, it's all like, it's all maybes with Arteta. It's all like, oh, he's got these ideas and stuff. But I always think the reality, we're playing a football match here. You're trying to win the football match. And the fact is that he hasn't won many at Arsenal. And they have just, they've lost too many games, they've drawn too many games, their finishes are getting lower and lower, they're outside of Europe now for I think the first time in the 21st century for sure, probably even far longer than that, well into the 1900s if we're being honest about Arsenal's history, so I think Arsenal are in a, a, a bad situation right now. I think in terms of those transfers, I feel as if Arsenal, what they need is to go into the market and get a proper, proper player, probably a proper centre-back and I think the issue is, look, Arsenal aren't in Europe. Arsenal aren't even in the Conference League. So the level of players they can get is sort of the Ben Whites. It is the Lokongas. It is the Tavareses. So young players in maybe outside the top five leagues in the world or or players at Ben White who come from clubs that are from Brighton, who, of course, aren't in Europe. So I feel as if Arsenal are in a really sticky situation right now. And in terms of Arteta, like I said, people say all this promise about him, but tactically it's meant to be there. It isn't there. And I think overall, it's just not looking good for him at all right now. Yeah, and I think that we can draw a really good parallel between what happened with um, Manchester United after Sir Alex Ferguson and Arteta. So I, I think that the David Moy signing that United made is kind of parallel to what Arsenal did with Unai Emery. It's like a shock, a reality, a reality shock that really they're not that good. And then you have Arteta, which is kind of like the Louis van Gaal in a way, which is more pragmatic, this sort of manager that you want to to do something else. And Arteta, I think that at least is speeding up of the, a little bit of the process because after van Gaal, they went for Mourinho, so a big stellar name. But I think that Arteta is rebuilding the squad faster because the problem with Mourinho and Louis van Gaal was that Mourinho inherited a lot of the players that van Gaal had. And then he wasn't able to kind of build a new team around what he actually wanted. But now Arteta is actually getting rid of these older players faster. So I think that if they actually came in with a new manager, a proper manager, I'm just going to pull out a name of the hat, let's say uh, an Antonio Conte, let's say. Antonio Conte comes in and I think he can stabilize a club like that. I think someone that has a little bit more experience at this at this level because Arteta might be thinking, oh, I need to stick with my philosophy or whatnot, but there are some certain games where you don't have that. You, you, don't, you are not going to be able to pull a result by doing that exactly. So I think that you need somebody else who's a little bit better, someone who would be an experienced manager. Maybe even Rafa Benitez would have been better for Arsenal than actually going for Everton. Someone like that, someone of that ilk, and that could have helped Arsenal. And I think that 
the, the problem is now with this Arteta being sacked or not is that do you really back the Arsenal board to sack Arteta? Probably not because they will be like they'll be like you know what um, let's stick with this because this is what our decision were and if we kind of sack him then we are in a bigger trouble we're in a bigger hole so I'm not too sure about that like I said I think he should be the first manager to get sacked but I don't think it's gonna happen I like we're talking actual facts he's probably gonna remain yet another season so it's gonna be interesting to see it's gonna be interesting to see how it develops I am begging for the Spotify guy to buy Arsenal. <laughs> I'm begging because I actually just want to see some change. It's it's it went from Arsenal just being funny and being humili humiliated and just watching like AFTV clips of them raging, but now I'm actually having a little bit of pity for them because I want to see Arsenal get back in it. And at this stage, clubs like Aston Villa, I feel they're gonna be finishing higher up than Arsenal. I think they have more, they have more prospects. They have more vision they have they, they are just having a better roadmap and that will work in their favor and not really arsenal yeah yeah i mean arsenal have got to make a decision but i think you're right in terms of i don't think they will i think they will stick with arteta i think they're backing him and they're the signings they're making are kind of like arteta signings i think arteta would want someone like ben white at the back who's good at bringing the ball out he would want this, some of these younger players who he's trying to bring into the club so it doesn't look like they're going to sack arteta yet but i mean let's see if they make a decision eh? yeah let's see but now with it, I think we should already move to the weekend's football. And let's start, why not, with La Liga? Because we've talked about Premier League a lot. So let's give the viewers something mm -hmm. different. Okay, then. So here we are at the centerpiece of the podcast. As Luis just mentioned there, we are going to be starting with La Liga. We have got the uh, the three main teams, you could say, back in action. We can never rule out the likes of Sevilla. Also, Valencia won this weekend. So maybe Valencia back on their way to the top. They also had 10 men for a lot of the game, by the way. But... That looked like a crazy one, the, the Bordalas derby. But let's talk about the <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the the main three because we will actually be getting onto a pretty pretty rough game as well actually with Atletico. But let's start with Real Madrid. We actually spoke about Real Madrid a few podcasts ago, I think maybe last minute the one before, probably the one before Messi, and we were speaking a bit about La Liga and Real Madrid and how they're going to do this season with Ancelotti and whatnot. They've got off to a good start here. Alaves away, probably you know not not a massively hard game. Not many fans in the stadium either, so. Didn't exactly seem hostile for the Real Madrid players, but I, th I think lineup-wise, there were immediately a few things to note out. You know, they had uh, you know Nacho and Militao at the back with Alaba at left back. You know, that's the sort of thing they're going to have to do now without Ramos and Varane. And then up front, <laughs> they moved it back a few years. I think to see Gareth Bale on the right wing for Real Madrid was the thing I was like, what is going on here? That says it all about the way La Liga is right now, but they still had Benzema. Hazard apparently played, uh, played pretty well. We saw his uh, nice assist for Benzema's goal, but for Real Madrid... I don't know. I, th I think same again. They're going to win a lot of games this year because they have a knack of winning. And I think with Benzema up front, they just have that constant source of goals. So I'm expecting a pretty similar Real Madrid to last season. Maybe a bit, a bit better, maybe a bit worse. I'm not sure. But that sort of Real Madrid, not sparkling, not unbelievable, not a sort of team you think, oh my goodness me, these guys can win the Champions League. But the sort of team that are going to win matches. They're going to win games in La Liga. They're going to rack up goals. They're, they're good at getting goals out of nowhere. And like I say, with Benzema up there, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I was really surprised as well about Gareth Bale. I tweeted, yeah. like, I wake up, I watch Real Madrid, and the first thing I see is Gareth Bale for playing for the right wing. Oh, wow. And the thing about Bale is that I think Ancelotti, one, really likes him, and two, that but Gareth Bale on paper is not a bad player. It really isn't a bad player. If you get the best version of Gareth Bale, you're going to be getting a proper superstar. And even last season when he went to the Premier League with Tottenham, 
he scored 17 goals. So that's not bad. That's not a really bad return for the games that he played. Although a lot of were a lot of it was with in the League Cup and against smaller teams, but the thing is that Gareth Bale knows how to get goals, and even when he's not playing good, he gets them. And I think that that's exactly what Real Madrid lacked last season. If you take a look at Real Madrid and their total goal scorer, most of them was Benzema and then Casemiro. You add Gareth Bale to that, and Real Madrid were begging for just someone to score 17 goals out of nowhere. So if he's able to transition that sort of irregularity but still effectiveness into this Real Madrid team this season... I think they're going to be getting something really, really good. And also, I was surprised seeing Alaba play as a left-back and not as a center-back. That caught me off a surprise. I think that probably Ancelotti is believing that right now his defense is not too solid, and that's why he needs to play Alaba there and then an extra center-back, a proper center-back in Nacho. Um, but I think Alaba is just really good as a center-back, especially. Uh, I thought that in Bayern Munich, whenever he had that tandem with Alfonso Davies, that Alfonso Davies just kind of bombs forward I think someone like Mendy could be doing that as well for them and then even Alaba kind of shifting into that left back position there's a lot of different uh how to say interactions with a proper left back that Alaba kind of benefits from but I was just surprised to see that he was just no outright left back just play there sit there and that's if we remember that is where Ancelotti used to play Alaba in Bayern Munich so it makes sense it makes sense I think that we're probably going to be seeing a more solid Real Madrid with Ancelotti. And I wouldn't be surprised now that that would be their defense. Especially, well, they need for Carvajal to return. And that's probably going to be now the starting 11. But uh, it's sad to see them definitely for, for Mendy, a player that I think could have easily just become a proper, proper, proper left back in the in the following seasons. I'm a little, I'm a little bit caught off guard by that. Yeah, Ancelotti's got a call to make there, hasn't he? Because... I don't think he'll want to be benching Nacho or Militao, who both had really good ends to the season with Real Madrid. I don't think he's going to be wanting to bench Alaba either. So, look, as of now, he benched Mendy, or if Mendy's injured. But if Mendy comes back, he's going to have a decision to make there. Maybe Nacho will be the one who gets moved out. But we'll have to wait and see on that one. Let's move on to the, the other Madrid team, Atletico Madrid. Atletico came straight back in classic Atletico fashion. A 2-1 away winner at Balaidos at Celta. VAR, penalties, red cards, coaches sent off, 10 added minutes. You know, Atletico are well and truly back. Um, I think Atletico started with a, a slightly weakened lineup due to a few players, you know, weren't back in time, like Suarez when he came off the bench. But Correa scored two really, really good finishes, actually. Aspas scored a controversial penalty. And then it was the last moments of the game where all hell broke loose. And I don't know, it felt like Atletico back, didn't it? They scrambled the win. With, a, with some Correa goals, you know, it was chaos in the last 10 minutes, they were hanging on for dear life, red cards, Simeone was going insane on the touchline, I don't know, it felt like Atletico back to me. Yeah, I, I really I really think that this Atletico Madrid side, the thing that they have different is that before with Simeone, they would like a kind of just settle for the one new advantage, but now they don't really do that, I think they, they realise that they're a better team, they could be the favourites, I think certainly they're the favourites for this season as well, and I think that sort of narrative helps them a little bit more in certain, certainly in these situations. And can we? I just want to make two quick mentions for Celta Vigo. The first one, Yawapas. Oh, what a what a guy! But that miss, I don't know if you saw that, but I did, he missed yeah. an open net goal. Yeah. My goodness, to 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 put Celta back in the game two two. Yep. Mm-hmm. That was such a bad miss. And also, I don't know if you've seen him much of him, but. My boy from Peru, Renato Tapia, he's putting performance after performance from Celta. 
I know stuff from inside sources that apparently he was going to get a move somewhere else. Uh, I don't know to which clubs, but uh, Atletico Madrid was one of the clubs that was looking for him, but he denied, he rejected offers, and he was like, no, I feel good at Celta, I'm going to stay for them with them for one more season and see how it goes. I think that is the right decision because he's progressing to a very good CDM, and I like that, especially with a coach that utilizes him, I think, in a right position. And overall, I think it was a very entertaining game. It, it really, really was. And like you say, it felt like Atletico back, and it, it felt like... I feel, like I mentioned earlier, the narrative is changing. And I think Atletico Madrid are going to be trying to push now this season as them being the favorites. I think I think it's working in, in their favor. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, let's move on to Barcelona then. It's the final game of La Liga. This was on the, the Sunday evening, the, the post-Messi era, really. Barcelona were good. I think we agree. Barcelona had a good first game in the Camp Nou. There were a few fans back. The feelings were really good, certainly in that first half. We dominated. We absolutely dominated Sociedad. Second half, I felt as if the game was a little bit slow once we had a two and then three goal lead. We let them back into the game really, really stupidly, which is something we've got to cut out in the last couple of minutes. But Braithwaite and Roberto there on the counter-attack wrapped up the points. But I think overall for Barcelona, maybe people weren't really sure what to expect on this first game. Real Sociedad, not an easy team to play against. They have got great, good attackers. They have got players who can cause you issues. So if you're not in your game, you know they can pick you apart. But... Barcelona were very good, very dominant, very in control, and it was a good start to the post-Messi era, in my opinion. I won't draw like huge conclusions. Maybe people are thinking, oh, that's it, you know, we're completely fine, let's move on as if nothing happened. But I think de definitely in general, some things I'll mention, the pressing off the ball, the structure of the team, the, the kind of the main things I always keep drilling home when I talk about Barcelona now without Messi, I think overall it was good. Like I said, a few lapses of concentration at the end there, which was just, just, just like frustrating, but... In general, I felt as if we were dominant. We have got to improve that fitness a little bit, but we pressed really high. We were very direct in attack, actually, which um, which was a bit of a change. I felt as if when we saw the chance, we just thought, yep, play the ball there. Play it there. Get it into the box. Whip it in. Get it onto Braithwaite, and hopefully we get the goal, and that's what we did eventually. So good start for Barcelona. 4-2 kind of looks like it was a, a cracking game, but actually, if you watched it, you would have seen that the Barcelona were, were very comfortable in the game, and it was a good start of the Camp Nou. Yeah, honestly, if we're, if we're being honest, like the game should have ended like three one. Yeah, uh, yeah. that free kick came out of nowhere. It was an incredible yeah. goal from Oyarzabal, but it really came out of nowhere. I have absolutely no idea what Hernandez Hernandez thought. Yeah, a foul <laughs> of Nico Gonzalez actually happened. It didn't happen. It wasn't a foul. But anyhow, I kind of want to build from what you said and and talk about two players. Two players that really caught my eye in this game. The first one, Eddie Garcia. My goodness, that guy is a proper bowler. And the thing is that some people said, oh, he's not that fast, he's not that strong, he's not that tall. The thing is that sometimes players excel on a righteous context, on a context that fits their build. And that is what Eddie Garcia has right now at Barcelona because he's tailor-made for what we need. And perhaps for the Premier League, he was, of course, got a little bit off guard because he's a more, let's say, um, passive centre-back. But... Overall, I think he was really, really good for Barcelona, and I and I think he's gonna continue to start. I, I really, I really think he has made enough one game that position his own. He was a really, really solid, proper defender, and I'm just really excited to see how he grows. I still would like to see a partnership of Eric Garcia and Araujo, but needless to say, Piqué also played amazingly, and that kind of goal that he got, the very first goal to open up the season was really just poetic. He cut in his wages down to get then an assist from Memphis Depay, the player that he allowed to be reducer for La Liga, and he gets that first goal. Uh, I think that is a, a good start for the post-Messi era. 
you need this sort of narrative, these small little things to go your way to certainly have the fans on your side and it's going on the right on the on the right direction. And the other player that I wanted to mention is Martin Braithwaite. I think that Martin Braithwaite just had an excellent game. He really, really did have an excellent game. He was in the right position at the right time. And he's benefiting a lot from the incorporation of Memphis Depay because Memphis Depay is a player that likes to shift position constantly. And I think that Braithwaite also is benefiting from that because sometimes you saw in a counterattack it was oh Martin Braithwaite for the left wing but then Memphis for the middle but then they finished the, the they finished the chance at the end with Martin Braithwaite in the middle and then Memphis Depay for the wing so it's like you always have these interactions that before you weren't allowed to have because Messi was there and I think that it's just different I'm not gonna say it's better but it's different it's a refresh it's kind of like building from from the ground up and i and i like it i like it a lot and uh i mean i'm talking a lot here i want to i want to get to you but like i just i am if i don't say this i'm gonna forget and it's that without messi like you don't have this luxury player that you have to start every 90 minutes and for instance kuman went like you know what the pie you are tired the pie looked tired because the pie starts games with a really good rhythm but i think that he needs to work a little bit more on his stamina to last the full 90 minutes because in Lyon, he always got substituted like around the 70th minute park with Rudy Garcia. He was like, oh, get out because you're kind of tired. You cannot press no more. And I think that is a part that he needs to work on. But Kuman identified that, you know, his golden boy, Depay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take him out because he doesn't have the profile of a Messi. I'm going to take him out and then I'm going to bring, well, a defender in Lenglet, which I have a sort of no idea what he was doing there. But if we didn't actually change to a back three... I don't think the counter-attack goal from Sergio Roberto would have actually happened. So it's like you're allowed to have different tactical uh, modifications because you don't have Messi. And I think that is just a good thing. Again, I don't, I don't think it's better, but it's different. You don't have this responsibility, this pressure, this baggage that it comes with it. And I just like the way that Barcelona play. They played free. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I'll touch on a few things quickly and then we'll swiftly move on. Eric Garcia, he got a lot and a lot of stick here in England uh, for his time at Man City. Definitely not, you know, an, an English centre-back that people like in this country, to be honest. But whenever I watched him play for Spain, I thought, that guy's perfect for Barcelona. Really impressed me. And he came in here and no one expected him to start because he was at the Olympics with Spain, where again, by the way, he was very good next to Pal Torres. And he came back and he hasn't played one second under Ronald Koeman yet. He's only had, what, three or four training sessions with Koeman. And Koeman put him in the lineup. And honestly, I thought he was absolutely brilliant. So, Eddie Garcia, big future ahead. He'll probably start a lot of games now. Braithwaite, I thought it was his best performance in a Barcelona shirt. 100%. He was brilliant. Uh, really, really good. The header was brilliant. The finish was really good as well in the second half. But his work rate, his dribbling actually really impressed me. So, that was brilliant. And, and Depay, I agree with you on the stamina. Um, but I think in general, his performance was, was excellent. He gives us that wow factor, doesn't he? And I think he's going to cause teams a lot of issues this season. So, that was really great to see. Yeah, and I think we also need to highlight Antoine Griezmann. Like, Antoine Griezmann is a player that works his ass off no matter for what team he plays. And I think that having these hardworking players back again in the front line is going to help Barcelona because we've been lacking that sort of pressure from the front line for ages now. And Antoine Griezmann just was, was, was again, the sort of player that he was in Atletico Madrid and France. Like... In one game, in one game, he was dropping in between the in between the midfield, picking up the ball, sometimes appearing as right back, defending. And there was a very good chance that started with Anton Griezmann recovering the ball as a right back, 
Then he passed the ball to Martin Braithwaite, which came in deep. Then he opened it up to Depay. Depay then once again, one-two with Braithwaite. And then Braithwaite crossing in a low cross all around through the through the edge of the area of Real Sociedad. And then Braithwaite, Memphis Depay almost scoring. And I think that sort of interactions we didn't have before because you always had to demand too much of your right back because Messi was not there, wasn't going to track back. Okay, Of course, Messi tracks back in certain instances, but I just feel that having a player that will do it whenever the situation calls upon, it's nice to see. And I I, I think that Anton Griezmann is going to have a pretty big season. I think that perhaps his goals and assists won't be as much, but uh, I think that creatively and the importance for the team, I think we're really seeing, we're going to see the best of him so far as Barcelona this season. No, yeah, definitely. I think I think he's got a massive role to play. Should we move on to the Premier League? Should we go back to the Premier League? What do you think? Yeah, definitely. Let's move onwards to the Premier League because there were some pretty big games. Okay then, so Premier League. There were loads of good games uh, over the weekend, actually. Some really, really interesting ones. We'll, we'll quickly touch on the Brentford-Arsenal one. We kind of spoke about it at the, at the start with Arteta. I think obviously it's a, it's a bad result for Arsenal. They, they did have a lot of players missing. It didn't look like a vintage Arsenal lineup. I think to come and lose to Brentford, newly promoted side, 2-0. You know, it's not a 1-0. It wasn't a freak win. Brentford deserved the victory on the night. So it was a really, really bad start for Arsenal. For Brentford, it was a brilliant moment for them. First game in the top flight after 74 years, I think it was. You know, there were fans crying in the stands. The, the stadiums were full again here in England. So massive win for Brentford, but, you know, awful start for Arsenal. Yeah, I just wanted to say that, like, the context was perfect for Brentford to win it. And I'm happy for them. I'm really happy for them and I'm worried for Arsenal. But um, I the, the, the game that I really want to talk about is the next one. It's Manchester United versus Leeds United that happened the very first day in Saturday, the very first game. And Manchester United were awesome. They were really, really good. Hence, is Leeds United that play very open and that kind of... I think goes on hand with any big team that want to place that way. But um, but Manchester United were good and Bruno Fernandes was excellent. Pogba was the best player on the field that day. And Pogba, I feel that it, it was what we always said in the ages of Mourinho and before. Pogba, you need a good players. You need good players around him and he will play good. And that's exactly what happens. Now that you have a better squad, Pogba plays better. And just imagine Varane coming in Sancho just starting from the right wing constantly, replacing Daniel James there. I think we're going to be seeing a really good Manchester United that are going to be capable of going all the way, or at least challenging City Chelsea for that Premier League title. I really, I'm really excited to see what United can do. Yeah, I mean, they looked very good on the first day. They really did. What, what I will say is that I agree with you. Look, Leeds are an open side. I think Leeds are a side that, man, you love playing. We can't forget the score in this fixture last season was... Manchester United 6, Leeds United 2. So, very similar. Four goal difference in A. So, look, we, we know what we're know what we getting with this fixture is what, I, is what I would say. But what I would also say is that Manchester United love these sorts of games. Under Solskjaer, they've been really, really good at dispatching of this sort of opposition. Their players seem to turn it on. Bruno Fernandes gets two goals. Pogba gets on, on a few assists in there. You know, he plays really well. They've got a lot of other attacking talent in there. You know, if Rashford's playing, he's there. You've got James, you've got Greenwood, Martial when he was fit. Uh, Sancho will come in this season. McTominay always pops up with a goal, I feel. So what Man United have got, I felt, is a team that plays very well on these occasions. What we said in the podcast earlier, um, earlier on a few episodes back, is we need Manchester United now, or I'm, I'm sure their fans do, and Solskjaer, they, they need to do this under him, is really win massive games and massive moments that are going to give you titles. Man United... Haven't won a trophy since 2017. So, look, 
They know what they need to do. Lots of road ahead for Solskjaer, but it was a really good start. My only point would be that, you know, we've seen it before from Man U, basically. We, this Man U likes these sorts of games. Yeah, 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 I get you. I'm certainly on the same boat. I think that it's going to come down to those uh, games like the Manchester Derby or trying to win a game, a six-pointer, you know, stuff like that, or games even in the Champions League. I think all of that are going to contribute to see whether Manchester United are really back because a lot of that... Uh, aura of being a big team comes from those big moments comes from you having a little bit of of um what's the word in english you know what in spanish is soberbio you know what that means in spanish or no no a bit it of means like... like it means you are like puffed up like you, you just don't care because if you are you're on top of the world you know you really are full of yourself that that is sometimes these big clubs like what real madrid has real madrid are full of that you know um and i think that sort of I what, what's a word in English that I can use? <laughs> I don't know, but I know, I know what you mean. Kind of like in the olden days, Mourinho's Chelsea or, or Ferguson's Man U, the teams that like turn up on the big occasions, you know, the, the, like the winners. Exactly. You need to you need to believe that is your opportunity to get those chances. And right now we haven't seen that from Manchester United. They've had some certain good games. I remember the Paris Saint-Germain a long time ago that they beat them at the Parc de Prince, but it's like, that's a, f that's a, a little bit of time now. And Solskjaer can certainly pull those moments out, but I want to see that more constantly. And I think that is going to be the, the main question um, to, to see with this Manchester United side. And for Leeds United, I just want to mention quickly that I feel that um, Leeds United should be looking now at consolidating themselves in the Premier League. I think they they shouldn't be really thinking that much about, oh, let's go to Europe, let's progress, let's do better. I think that another similar finish in eighth like they had last season would be a good would be a good finish. I think would be a good finish. And I think that would be their aim for now. And and let's see, let's see how it goes. I'm a really big fan of Bielsa. And I wanna see also how Junior Fripo does in the Premier League because he's a player that moved from Barcelona. So yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see. But now I think we should move onwards to your boys in blue. Yeah, Chelsea 3, Crystal Palace 0 was the Chelsea's first game of the weekend. Overall, really good. We played really, really well on the day, actually. I was a little bit worried and, like, skeptical coming into this game because I don't know if many of you will know, but, of course, Chelsea had the Super Cup midweek, which we won after extra time. Chelsea looked super tired then. Uh, we've had a really tricky preseason, basically because of the Euros and the Copa America. So, Chelsea really haven't had many players back. And if they are back, then they're not really playing on much fitness at all right now. So... I was a little bit worried, and we did start a bit slowly again. Crystal Palace, you know, they were defending well, but Marcos Alonso free kick, brilliant. That really broke the deadlock. From then onwards, Chelsea could just dominate, you know, Kovacic, Jorginho. Once they're 1-0 up, they love those sorts of moments. They can play with the opposition. They can dictate the tempo. Uh, Pulisic scrambled in a second, and that really was game, set, and match. And then it was the, the big moment in the second half with Trevor Chalaba. Chelsea debut midweek, won a European trophy. Premier League debut on the weekend, scored an absolute screamer. So he's had the perfect start to his Chelsea career. Another one of those brilliant talents coming out of Chelsea's academy right now. Brilliant goal and in the end, you know, very comfortable victory for Chelsea. What Chelsea are doing right now is just waiting for more players to build up fitness. Like I say, the fitness levels aren't really ideal right now. And that's why I'm just so happy that we've got the trophy over the line on Wednesday. We, we got the victory against Crystal Palace. I was really worried about those two games, but... We're slowly building back up. You know, hopefully we can get the likes of Chilwell and James and Thiago Silva and Kante and even Lukaku now into the team. Um, and all these guys, Mason Mount looks like he's fully back and, and ready for more business. So it's looking good. We, we got through it, but yeah. 
I'm really excited about Chelsea this season. You know why? Because they did something different that certainly Liverpool didn't do last time around. I feel that it's strengthened when you're at your best. And I really like now how Chelsea continue the same sort of mentality that they have or what I was just mentioning before, feeling that you're the champions, feeling that you are the best team right now. And honestly, they kind of have that. They have that badge. They have that trophy where they can go and say, oh, we are the best team in Europe. And I, and yeah. I like the way that they command themselves in the Premier League now against Crystal Palace. I thought Patrick Vieira's team had a baptism of fire. I really thought that he had that at Stamford Bridge the other day. And I feel that adding with the players that you're you're going to get, like Lukaku, like against Arsenal, your next game, oh, that's going to be huge. And the thing is that you continue right where you left off. And I, and I love that. I think it was a very good collective display. And Chelsea are hard to beat. And they're going to be benefiting from that, especially a lot. And I feel that, honestly, with this... If we're out, if we're coming out and making predictions right after the first match day, I think Chelsea are the favorites for the champ- uh, for the Premier League. I think that they look to be the best team out there right now in England. And after Manchester City, which we're gonna mention later on, uh, didn't do didn't do so good. I think that Chelsea are are a proper proper team. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm I'm super impressed with how it's going. I think Chelsea are building a an extremely strong team. They've got, for me, one of the best managers in Europe in Thomas Tuchel. And yeah, the board seems like they're backing him. Let's see if Chelsea make any more signings before the window because I still feel as if Chelsea could do with another midfielder, actually. It, it may seem fine now, but Chelsea are going to be playing, what, 60 games this season, probably? So, look, I still feel as if Chelsea could do with a midfielder and if a centre-back has moved on, maybe Jules Koundé as well. But there was another really, really interesting game in the Premier League, not between any massive, massive sides, but Watford-Aston Villa... Aston Villa have made some really interesting signings and probably people were quite excited about them. They have lost Grealish, but they'd spent the money well. Watford newly promoted. People may be thinking they might go straight back down. But Watford 3, Aston Villa 2, 5-goal thriller. Did you catch any of it? Have you seen any of the highlights? You know, what, what were your general thoughts on, on how this one panned out? Yeah, I put it here on the script really because of that Villa narrative coming into the yeah. season about how they're going to do without Jack Grealish. And honestly, I'm becoming slowly but surely a fan of Aston Villa, I could say, because I like the way that they're commanding their club. And I thought that video that explains so good of the CEO of, of what it meant to sell Jack Grealish and how they're trying to replace them with different players and their whole strategy. I like that a lot. But the thing is that I like that, but then you put it actually on the field and it didn't work out. It didn't work out against Watford. Watford dismantled them. And I think that it's going to take a little bit more of, of used to more adaptation for Aston Villa, especially because when you're playing with having three new signings, three players right into your squad, I think that all of them needs to adapt. There are way more variables that can inflict in on that. And it's going to take a little bit more of, I think it's going to get time to gel. They need time to gel and hopefully they can get back into it. But certainly for me, this was a surprise. I thought that that it was a surprise uh, what first victory over Aston Villa. It was away from home. Yes, Watford are back into the Premier League, so they're going to have a good atmosphere. Fans are back. But I'm going to be wanting to see how Aston Villa pick up themselves from this because it could turn very sour very fast. It could be just like, oh, you saw Jack Grealish and now we're playing worse and worse and worse. And that's a mentality shift that potentially could just drag them down. So we'll have to wait and see how they react to that so that's why i put it here yeah definitely definitely interesting interesting times ahead for aston villa because maybe they'll even go out and spend more money now because they were kind of spending money and maybe thinking hey we're going to keep greenish but they've now they've got 100 million i don't know let's see if we, they spend any more liverpool got off to a really good start i'm still a little bit skeptical about liverpool really i don't like the way their board do business they seem very 
weak financially, which was just diff- which is just hard to believe, really. And I feel like compared to the other top six clubs, they're like the club that kind of don't like spending the most. So I don't feel like that's ideal. We mentioned that in a previous podcast, and also you think you touched on it today with what Chelsea have done in terms of strengthening after a Champions League win. Liverpool definitely didn't do that there. As we've said, their only signing after a Champions League win was was Adrian, but they started really well here. 3-0 away to Norwich. Um, Salah, I think, on the score sheet. We also saw uh, Jota got on the score sheet and also Firmino off the bench. So they look pretty comfortable. Not very good news for Norwich, who, by the way, always just come up and then go straight back down in England. So let's see if they can finally stay in the Premier League uh, for once. But in the last decade, that just hasn't happened. They've seen the Kings of the Championship, but they just can't do it in the Premier League. But... Liverpool, really comfortable start for them. So what do you think about Liverpool this season? You know, what, do you, what, did you, what did you make of their start and what are you expecting of them? Um, I'm expecting them to be silent, like silent behind all of their big teams and see what they can do. But certainly the return of Van Dijk are going to strengthen them a lot. Let's see if he's going to be able to get back to his best. But what I'm really more worried about is the midfield and the attack. I think that... The attack particularly needs some sort of refresh. And I know that Diego Jota coming in is going to be giving them a little bit in small sample sizes. He's going to be coming out with those goals like we saw against Norwich. But I think that if he gets injured like he did last season, then you're returning back to the firmino mane Salah combo. And that trident can get very stale very quickly. And I honestly thought that by this point, one of Mane and Salah would have been gone. And they would have replaced them with somebody else, somebody new. And that is where I think Liverpool are lacking a bit. I feel that if they're not careful, maybe their team will become stale. But uh, but right now, on paper, still, they have a pretty good squad, a pretty good team. And let's see how they do. Uh, in the midfield, I think they're also lacking a bit of replacement for Wijnaldum. I think Wijnaldum was an important player to them. And I don't really know if Navi Kate is going to be like becoming the sort of player now. Apparently, that's what Jurgen Klopp anticipates or hopes because he started this game. But I'm not quite sure. And quickly, I want to mention Norwich as well. I thought Norwich have done very good signings. I was really excited to see Milad Rashika from Werder Bremen. And also, I don't know if you know this guy, but Solis, the Greek yeah, do, yeah. winger that they yeah. signed. Mm-hmm. That guy is a baller in football manager on FIFA. He has like 92 potential or, or 88 potential. He's crazy good. And I was like, how in the world are you going to get this sort of talent out of Pauk? Norwich signs him like how 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 does that work and I was expecting him to start see how he does but he's going to be one of my players of those who want to watch and I think he could have a very similar career to what I don't know like um Wijnaldum had when Wijnaldum signed for Newcastle United and then Newcastle went straight back down and then some top club signed him I think that's going to happen with Solis now uh but overall Norwich has made good signings and I think I don't know I was just I'm just excited for them and they're they have a soft place in my heart because actually Norwich was where going where I was gonna go to university, but I changed at last minute to Bournemouth. I mean they're both now championship clubs. Well, no, Bournemouth is championship club. Norwich were a championship club by back then. But it's like a, I don't know. I always have a soft spot for them because I know the city and I, and I've been there and I stay some time there and and. I don't know, I, I want to see them do good and I just want them to stay in the Premier League, but it doesn't look like it's going to be the case. No, yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right. They made some They made some sharp signings, but I, I suppose it's just match they won it. It's Liverpool, so we're not expecting them to win, but they didn't look very good at all to me, so a little bit worrying. But let's see how Norwich do, if they can finally, you know, pull something together and make a big push. Final game that we want, we want to talk about this weekend in the Premier League, though, the big one, really, I suppose, the game between two top six clubs. Tottenham got the win over Man City at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on match day one. Um, I've probably got a lot to say on this one. 
I think Tottenham played well overall. I think it suits them, this sort of game. Tottenham, I really deal with Nuno as the coach. They can sit in a little bit. They can counter-attack with Son and Bergwijn and Lucas Moura. They've got pace and, you know, Hume and Son. The guy just doesn't miss on either foot. So when you've got him in the attack with Harry Kane as well, which was what they usually have, I always feel as if it's, you know, very, very comfortable for Tottenham to get goals and win matches if they were if they were doing well at the back. I really do feel as if that would be the case because it's just so much easier to win matches when you've got Son and Kane getting you free goals every single week. So that is why it's incredible the way Spurs have performed over the last decade, really, not not doing anything too grand. But Man City, look, I'm not going to draw many conclusions. They also started last season poorly. I felt as if they didn't have a full team back. A bit like the thing I mentioned with Chelsea earlier, actually. Just when you've got, you know, too many players who aren't fully fit to start. They were clearly missing players. What was it? No Walker they didn't have. Stones didn't play either. Um, that was a bit of a miss. De Bruyne in midfield, I think, was a miss. Um... I think they had, what, Fernandinho in there and then Gundogan and also Grealish. No, Rodri didn't start. Up front, they were missing a few players. I still feel as if maybe this will push Sheik Mansour to go and pay the money for Kane, but that signing is looking less and less likely as the, as the days of the transfer window go by. So I think City were missing players. They definitely weren't at their full strength, and that is why Spurs were able to capitalise, dig in, really enjoy this sort of fixture. Actually, over the last couple of years, Tottenham have really enjoyed this game. Home to Man City, they're able to play, like I said, defensive football and counter-attack with, with uh, Hyung Son Min. So, they enjoyed that Tottenham. They got the deserved victory in the end, I think. And look, City struggled and the likes of Greedish got some uh, got some stick off the back of it. So, yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think the narrative, like you mentioned, changes a little bit now to Harry Kane actually or Manchester City actually needs Harry Kane. Certainly, I think Daniel Levy might keep his position, maybe even raise the price a little bit higher. And then Sheik Mansour might be like, okay, we actually do need a striker. And mm. I don't know, I'm going to ask you here, do you think, I, I think they need a striker. I think that you need guaranteed yeah. goals at the back of the net. And certainly with his floating false nine of Ferran Torres, and then who they had at right wing, Mares. I don't know. I'm not too sure whether it could pull them out throughout this entire season. I think last year they were benefited from the novelty of not having that and basically an incredible Phil Foden that he needs to come back as well. And I'm not too sure about Jack Grealish as a center forward because a lot of the game, Jack Grealish was kind of playing through the middle. And I'm not too sure. I think he does better with less space in front of him. Uh, through the wing, sticking to the left flank, and then creating from there. So I'm going to be very interested to see how Pep adapts this team. There's, I think the incorporation of Grealish certainly changes out the dynamic in the front line because I think Pep Guardiola really trusts Raheem Sterling. I'm not, And I'm not thinking he's going to be benching Sterling anytime soon, especially after a good Euro. So we have to see how Manchester City get back into the Premier League, how they get back into competing, and certainly we're now they're I'll say the remaining players that you were saying that need to catch up fitness, how they're going to be lining up. And I certainly, I'm, I'm a little bit um, reluctant to say that perhaps Tottenham got a little bit lucky here that they didn't face the best Manchester yeah, City definitely, side. Definitely. They, they did, they did, they, they did. They got lucky here not facing the best yeah. team out there. And also first game of the season, they're going to be kind of just, yeah. all the fans are going to be rallying up behind Tottenham. Mm. But um, but yeah, what do, what do you think of Nuno Espirito Santo as a manager? Do you think that that could actually pull them through to see some sort of European football or higher up, certainly of the Conference League? I mean, look, I don't think it's a, like an inspiring appointment at all. But what I will say is this: Nuno is going to have a really good Tottenham squad. The director of football, Paratici, is is really active in the market. Tottenham look like they're going to be keeping Harry Kane because of Daniel Levy's intolerable stance in the transfer market. So. 
It looks like Tottenham are going to have Kane and Son, probably another striker on top of that. There's rumours of Vlahovic from Fiorentina. They're going to be getting another centre-back in, probably another midfielder, maybe a right-back as well. On top of the squad they've already got with Romero and Golini and Brian Heerland, all of the other great players they've already got. So Nuno's got a good team. He's got a really good team. And I think what will happen is this. Tottenham will, you'd expect Tottenham will finally win a trophy and win the Conference League. You wouldn't put any money on it really just because of the way Tottenham are, you know, with you know no trophies since 2008 now. And even that was a league cup. But I feel as if this, this Conference League was was made for Arsenal and Tottenham. I really do feel that. And I feel as if Tottenham have got not a free shot of the trophy, but they've almost been thrown towards it and say, you know, come on, finally, finally go and win something. Eh? But let's see how it does. And then I think in terms of where they'll finish, I think they'll finish either in Champions League or Europa League. I really do. I think they've got too much quality. And over the past seasons, I think it's been... I think they achieved fair with Poch, maybe. I think Poch maybe overachieved a little bit. And now I feel as if they've, they've got a capable squad. Like I mentioned, I think the, the two I always bring it back to are Kane and Son. They're incredible. The amount of goals they return you as a, as a duo is in, insane. And I feel as if, if you have some structure at the back, which evidently Spurs haven't had... But if you do, you can build a really good team. So Nuno, on its on his own, I don't think is an inspiring appointment, no. But I think, look, he's a fine Premier League manager. He's experienced. He'll set Tottenham up okay tactically. And the players will be able to do the rest in a lot of games. So I don't think Spurs will challenge for the title. But I do think they can challenge for Champions League spots. And if not, they can get Europa League. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And like you were saying there, um, Nuno kind of has... Pep's number. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that he. Yeah. <laughs> I think Pep struggles around these managers. He struggles about these managers. And actually, yeah. If what I wanted to say is that the fourth is the fourth time in a row that Manchester City or Pep has lost in a in in a home ground, so away from home. So he's lost four games consecutively, or not won four games consecutively at the Tottenham Stadium. And yep. that's interesting. That's interesting. Yep. It's kind of like their bogey team. You it always is, see it is, that. It is. It is their bogey team. So. It's interesting. Um, but now I thought that we could wrap it up here and then move onwards, move onwards to the overtime where we're going to give you a little bit of a of a take on the Bundesliga and just see how it goes because certainly there were some interesting games. Only one of the biggest teams for the title race managed to win. So that's certainly going to be, I think, putting the Bundesliga in a, in a good watch. But let's head onwards into overtime for that. Okay, guys, now, so taking a look at overtime, I wanted to just mention the Bundesliga quickly because I thought that Dortmund's performance against Frankfurt was proper good. And I and I thought that the new incorporation in Donnell Malin was going to play. He didn't. But he's certainly going to be a new breast Brescia Firth errors for what they have to achieve. I think Royce was playing really good. I thought that he now he backed his 100 goal, I think, for the, for the team, something like that. So I think he's returning back to his best. Haaland also incorporated himself into the attack with two goals and one assist. Haaland looking fresh as ever. And the benefit that they have is that Bayern Munich didn't win and also Leipzig didn't win. They lost, Leipzig lost against Mainz and Bayern drew against Mönchengladbach and actually Bayern went in behind very early into the game and I think that with Nagelsmann being a very tactical coach and I think that the, the stuff of him not being that old, being young is certainly something that is going to struggle perhaps by managing these big egos, these big talents and if there's a moment for Dortmund to strike I certainly think it will be this one and I think that under Marco Ross they have a good manager that could certainly 
make them very solid, but make them interesting to watch back again with a good system, a good dynamic, and keeping Haaland for this extra season might just be what they need to tr be able and try to win the Bundesliga this time around. And let's see how they do. Let's see how they do. Defensively, they still need a little bit more. Um, they need to hone a little bit of their or defensive structure. But overall, I'm, I'm really excited to see Dortmund this season. And I always now turn on the TV to watch Haaland. Like, I think that's something that... Personally, I have. I have. Like, I don't. I'm not interested about watching like Mbappe in the PSG. I, I honestly like to watch more Haaland in Dortmund. I always turn it up, see how it goes, and may because I know he's gonna score a goal. Yeah. And I think that's always interesting to see. I want to see the Haaland goal. I want to see it. I want to see it. But um, I'm excited for Dortmund, and and I hope that they hopefully this is their year. Yeah. Well, good start for Dortmund, isn't it? Haaland again, unbelievable with with more goals. But it comes back to the point that you made on a few podcasts ago, isn't it, about about Nagelsmann and Bayern? And I, th I think you had a point. I, as you went on with the point, I, I agree with it more at the time, I remember. And maybe Bayern are going to struggle a bit more this season. Look, let's see how it goes. Extremely, extremely early days. You know, Man City have also draw lost, sorry, and I expect them to go on to either finish first or second in, in the league this season. But I still expect Bayern to go on and, and win the Bundesliga. But... If they keep struggling, if the dressing room harmony isn't there, if that feeling of Bayern isn't there anymore with Nagelsmann, and if he's trying to change things maybe and it's not going down so well with the older players, then they are going to encounter issues. So let's see. Maybe we will get a more interesting Bundesliga title race this year. Yeah. And just to finish off, I also thought I could ask you, Paolo, who do you think is going to be winning out of the leagues that we mentioned today? So the Bundesliga, you said Bayern. I'm going to keep saying Dortmund. I think Dortmund, they will be the year. But then yeah. La Liga and Premier League, who do you see as favorites, really? Or who do you oh. think will win? I think that for Premier League, I'm backing Chelsea. I'm, I'm backing Oof. Chelsea a lot. I think the signing of Lukaku is amazing. I really do think that. And for La Liga, I think Barcelona has a good shout to win. I'm going to say Barcelona. I know I'm a fan of Barcelona, of course, I'm going to say. But, um, but I think that the departure of Messi brings something else in these players. And I think they're, they're going to be trying to show up that, you know what, we can win without him. Maybe they certainly have a good competitive squad for La Liga, not for the Champions League, certainly not, but for, for La Liga, I think they do. And I think we're going to be seeing a good Barca. I certainly think that a lot of the big games between Atletico and Ramadre are going to settle a lot of those debates. But I'm excited to see how the new signings do at Barca. And, and I like that. I like that. I'm really backing this team under Kuman. Um, and I think it's excited. I'm excited about and optimistic about new eras, about new adventures. And this is what Barcelona kind of showed to me. Yeah, it's so hard to predict. La Liga is probably the one that I'm struggling with the most. The Premier League, uh, I could see Chelsea winning it. I think Man U will fall short because of Solskjaer. But I, I'll stick with Man City. If I had to say one, I'll go Man City. That would be unbelievable as well, wouldn't it? If Pep wins it, what would that be? Three times in a row, would it be? Or, or just twice now? It would have been twice because they live for. But I think it would have been three times in four years, which in the Premier League, you know, that's Sir Alex Ferguson sort of stuff. So that would be incredible. Really hard to predict that, though. It's so hard. Really is. So I, I won't go and like throw this out and say, I definitely think Man City are going to win the league. But if I had to pick one, I would go for them. In La Liga... I struggle to pick Barcelona, even though I think we can do it. But then I also think, well, who is going to win it? Atletico again. I just, I don't feel convinced, but I feel as if they could do it. And Real Madrid, I also am not sure if I'm convinced with Ancelotti as their coach. But, uh, oh, it's so hard to pick. Bundesliga, I will stick with Bayern, even though maybe they're going to have a trickier season. But La Liga, I can't pick, mate. I can't. <laughs> I think that okay I'm gonna ask you the same question the next podcast when we're gonna yeah. be doing probably I'm gonna ask you the same time next podcast of Syria 
and League One, okay? I'm gonna yeah, say yeah. that. And, and you give me an answer there for La Liga. So mine currently yeah. are Dortmund, Barcelona, and Chelsea. And I want to see what you have to say for the next one. So right now you have Bayern and Man City, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Let's stick with that. Let's see how it goes. And mm -hmm. certainly, guys, thank you once again for sticking to another episode of the Engine Room podcast. It's been always a good watch. And I'm really excited to come back after every single weekend to talk more about the the games I'm, i'm really excited especially now that football is back i woke up very early on saturday to watch the manchester united versus leeds game which was the first one here 6 a.m it was for for peru time i was excited to see that but um i don't know i just like football being back i really really think it's a good stuff and it makes my days more busy because before i just didn't know what to put my time on and now i just can watch football to relax yeah yeah Yeah, I really enjoyed the podcast today. Uh, I think I think we covered some some good topics. There were some really interesting games over the weekend, and I'm sure after next weekend's game and after next weekend's action, there'll be there'll be more to talk about as well. Maybe even outside of of here, maybe there'll be some transfers that have happened. So I'm sure we'll be covering it all. Shall we end it there? Yeah, I think I think there will be a wrap up. Okay, thank you so much for watching, guys, and goodbye. Thank you. Take care. <laughs>